I'd like for you to turn to the fourth chapter of the book of Ecclesiastes. And I want to be, I'm going to be reading verses 9 through 12. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 through 12. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. For if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion. But woe to the one who falls when there is not another to lift him up. Furthermore, if two lie down together, they keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? And if one can overpower him who is alone, two can resist him. A card of three strands is not quickly torn apart. A few years ago, Paul Simon wrote this haunting song of oneness. A winter's day in a dark, in a deep and dark December, I am alone, gazing from my window to the streets below on a freshly fallen silent shroud of snow. I am a rock, I am an island. I've built walls, a fortress deep and mighty that none may penetrate. I have no need of friendship. Friendship causes pain. It's laughter and loving I disdain. I am a rock, I am an island. Don't talk of love. Well, I've heard the word before. It's sleeping in my memory. I won't disturb the slumber of feelings that have died. If I never loved, I never would have cried. I am a rock. I am an island. I have my books and my poetry to protect me. I am shielded in my armor, hiding in my room, safe within my womb. I touch no one, and no one touches me. I am a rock, I am an island, and a rock feels no pain, and an island never cries. The author of the book of Ecclesiastes would disagree. He would say two are better than one. Now I want to tell you what I want to do with this sermon tonight, up front. I want to tell you what I'm going to say, then I'm going to tell you, then I'm going to say it, then I'm going to tell you what I said. And what I want to do tonight with this sermon is encourage you to develop a deep friendship with someone. You can call them a prayer partner, somebody to pray with, somebody to share deeply with. You can call them a sig significant other. The purpose of this sermon tonight is to encourage you not to be an island and not to try to be a rock that has no feeling, but to find some significant other for two are better than one. The meaning of this passage is clear enough. Two are better than one because cooperation is always better than aloofness. Where two are joined, they're able to cheer each other up and they're able to keep each other warm in more ways than one. 
And they're able to be a defense against all kinds of attack. Notice that he did not say two or more than one. That is truth in itself. He said two or better than one. For a team is not just quantitatively superior. It is qualitatively superior. A team is not just quantitatively superior. It is qualitatively superior as well. Now Jesus believed that two are better than one. He seems to believe that. And he incorporated that belief into his expansion of the kingdom of God. And so the book of Mark says that he called his disciples and he sent them out two by two, knowing the importance of the task and knowing how inferior they must have felt to the gigantic job that was before them. He sent them out in pairs. And it's interesting that when Matthew and Mark list the twelve disciples, they list them in pairs. Have you ever noticed that? I want you to turn with me just for a second and check it out with me to the 10th chapter of Matthew, verse 2. Matthew 10, verse 2. Now these names of the twelve apostles, now the names of the twelve apostles are these. The first Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew his brother. James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother. Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the tax gatherer, James the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him. Now we are not sure if that's, the, that's how he sent them out, those pairs, but it is significant that when the gospel writers list the disciples, they list them two by two. Always in the Bible, God seems to link His workers together in twos. So Moses is linked with Aaron. And Joshua is linked with Caleb. And David is linked with Jonathan. And Paul with Silas. And Peter with John. So that the wisdom of Ecclesiastes, two are better than one, is borne out again and again in Scripture and there exemplified. And I believe that it's not just a tactic for advancing a cause. I submit to you that the spiritual growth, if not the survival of a Christian, is much more likely when two people are related to each other as spiritual kinsmen. There have been many Christians who have floundered in the Christian faith simply because they have sought to go from the one of self to the many of the congregation. They have gone from the one of self to the many of the congregation without de developing a soul-deep relationship, and they failed. Now there are times when the Christian faith must be expressed alone. And there are times when you as a Christian will stand alone against the world. The prophet was developed in isolation and he came from the wilderness not having received his message from the consensus. He received his message in the loneliness of his isolation in the wilderness. 
There are times when the Christian faith stands alone. And there are times when we know the, the, the joy of, 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 a, of a lavished number. And the Bible speaks of the cooperative celebration of the church. And John found comfort in the fact when on the Isle of Patmos the Lord let him see that in that heavenly church there was a multitude that no man could number. But the Christian faith also rests in teams of two in which each member learns to priest the other. You need a friend. Now I learned uh, something about the buddy system when I went away to camp for the first time. I was about a 10-year-old boy, went to RA camp, and beautiful setting in Luters, Texas, down on the Brazos River. Wasn't a tree around. You know, just a... and, and they have a swimming pool down at this marvelous camp. We swam in this, this swimming hole down on the river, just literally a big old hole. In the... And we had to have buddies. Everybody had to have a buddy when he went swimming. And the guy in charge, the, the, the uh, lifeguard on the bank, every three or four minutes he'd blow the whistle and then count to five. And if you weren't close enough to your buddy to raise his hand before he counted to five, you had to get off and sit on the bank for ten minutes because our survival was literally dependent upon our relationship to our buddy. I want you to know tonight that Christian growth and Christian survival depends on your development of a significant other within the Christian faith. Might be your wife, might be your husband, might be a friend. You need a friend. Now here is the proposition of this text. It's truth in one sentence. I want you to write this down. This. That the deepest level of friendship that is possible to us as humans is a friendship that is formed around a common commitment to the things of God. I want to say it again because that is important that you get this. The deepest level of friendship that is available to us, possible to us as human beings, is that friendship which is formed around a common commitment to the things of God. Now what I'm saying is this, kids listen, the best friend you will ever have in this world is a friend you find and develop at church. And I want to say this to husbands and wives, it is not possible for you to find the deepest level of marriage and the joy of marriage unless that marriage is centered around a common commitment to the things of God. Now you can get along pretty well in your marriage and you can be happy in your marriage but the happiest marriage and the deepest level of marriage is a marriage that is developed around a common commitment to the things of God because the greatest friendship that we will ever have is a friendship that is developed among Christians. When I first preached the revival in Hale Center, I met these guys, two guys. One guy I really, really, really learned to love and like. My, my preacher friend told me not long ago that he had moved, and I knew he had moved when I went back. And so I was talking to his friend there, and I, and I mentioned him, and, and, he, and his eyes teared up. And here's this 60-year-old man, farmer, just weather-beaten guy, and he started talking about his friend, and he teared up. 
He said, you know, I, 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 really, I really miss that old boy, he said. He said, we farmed together for 30 years. He said, there wasn't a week passed that we didn't talk. And he said, hardly a day passed that we didn't get together for coffee and visit. He said, we went together socially. We went to church together here. He said, you know, he's just emotional. He said, I just, I really miss him. And he said, the, the greatest, the, the thing I miss the most is the friendship we had in this church. The greatest level of friendship that is possible to us as human beings is a friendship that is developed around a common commitment to the things of God. Now, why is that true? Three reasons. Let me share these with you quickly. It is true because we get a better line on ourselves. We get a better line on ourselves. Because we're all masters of the art of justifying and, and uh, rationalizing our behavior and our decisions. And each of us is, is, is given over more or less to self-distortion. And we have these blind spots, uh, you know, about ourselves. And we need a friend, a close Christian friend, who can help us, you know, see what we're really like, help us get a better line on ourselves. Now, there are two kinds of people in my life. They're the people who see only my good. They're the people who always tell me how great I am. Boy, I like to get around them, you know. And when I need an ego stroke, you know, I get around those people. They see only my good. Oliver Wendell Holmes said, you can mark this down as a truth and it admits a few, only a few exceptions that when a person asks for your opinion, what he really wants is your praise and will be content with nothing less. That's about truth. What he really wants is your praise. And so I get around these folks that I, that I know, can, that, that know that only tell me how great I am, and, and I ask for their opinions, and they always brag on me, you know. But if the only people in our world and, and, and the only people that we surround ourselves with are related to us in such a way that they cannot level with us, then about all we can hope for is the barren echo of our own desires. And the other kind of people in our world of those who see only our bad. There's some of those. Nitpickers, I call them. You know. <laughs> Exaggerators. <laughs> and they're going to find out what's... In, and they let me know everything. They see only my bad. What I'm pleading for tonight is this, watch. Is that we develop a single friendship in Jesus Christ in which we can tell the other how He looks. And we can find out how we look to Him. A friendship in which there is no possibility of exploitation. A friendship that is cemented in a strong bond of total confidentiality. A friendship with someone who will not drop you when you fail and will not envy you when you succeed. The author of one of the Proverbs says, The kisses of an enemy may be profuse, but faithful are the wounds of a friend. What he's saying is this, if you have somebody who will really tell you what you look like, he's the best friend 
you have. Now, where is, the better, where is a better place to find that kind of person who really cares than in the church? We get a better line on ourselves. Secondly, when we have such a tandem as that, we get a better grasp of the faith. Solomon says, as iron sharpens iron, so does one man sharpen another. Look at Peter and John. Strange pair. You're talking about the odd couple. Peter and John. Now Peter is this aggressive man, emotional and explosive and volatile. And every time he hears from the Lord, he wants to begin one of these crusades and walk on water. He's just this emotional kind of a guy. And he's paired together with John. And John is this passive kind of man, more contemplative. I can just imagine some of the conversations they had together. And, and John is sharpening Peter, and Peter is sharpening and John, and they are sharpening one another. And when you, and I don't think I'm stretching the scripture, when you read after the resurrection from both Peter and John, you can almost see the influence of one on the other. And so when you read from the epistle of 1 Peter, you discover this shift from this emotionalism to this gentle man who talks about the bishop of the souls, the bishop of the sheep, sounds just like John talking about my little ones. And I think that when you have this intimate friend, Christian friend, that person is able to sharpen your faith. Each Tuesday I get with three or four people that, are, that I'm discipling. And uh, Tuesday a week ago we were sitting around this uh, uh, table in this person's home and we were uh, sharing with one another from the scripture. And I was trying to disciple these four people. And all of a sudden this woman uh, shared from the scripture, this lady that's in my discipleship group, shared from Scripture, from the book of James, something that I had never seen before. I preached from that book twice, preached it through twice. And she said, you know, we were talking about some verse of Scripture that, where God spoke to us during the week, and she shared something out of the book of, out of James and just turned on a light for me. I'd never seen that before. What I'm saying is that we sharpen one another and we give each other this, better, this greater concept of what the faith is about. Third, when we have this tandem, this two, these two people who share with one another and love one another as Christians, we have a better chance of keeping our faith steady. When two people accept responsibility for each other, they tend to negate each other's highs and lows. You ever notice that? For well, the chances of both people being down at the same time are very slim. And when God brings you together with somebody, and oftentimes that just happens, that person that's brought into your life as a significant other is usually strong where you're the weakest. And you're strong where they're weak. And usually they're there, as uh, uh, the psalmist talks about, Moab is my wash basin. They're usually there just where you need them. And, and, and it keeps your faith steady. And there are times we're, when we're called on to serve as a stand-in for God, for other people. Samuel Peake 
Some of you have gotten his, if you've got some old commentaries, he has some old commentaries of the Old Testament. I love his commentary on the minor prophets. Someone wrote Samuel Peake this letter one day and said, I marked especially at the prayer meeting at Western Street your magnificent faith in the loving Father. And if you don't mind my saying what is on my heart, I held on to you, sir, while you held on to Jesus. There are some times that that's all we have. We just have somebody that we know is, has got a strong hold on the Lord and we just hold on to them while they hold on to the Lord. Do you have somebody like that? You need that. For there are times when we are called on to stand in for God, for others, and there are times when we need some stand in because we just we, we can't get a hold of Him. So we just hold on to them while they hold on to Him. And Ernest Campbell tells about the time that one of his preacher friend's daughter took her life. And this guy had a deep personal friend, a significant other. When he heard about it, he called him. He was on the other side of the United States. He called him at 1 o'clock in the morning, and this is what he said. By now, you must be pacing the floor, asking what you did that you should not have done, or what you did not do that you should have done. I say to you, in the name of Jesus Christ, stop it. That's a real friend. I say to you in the name of Jesus Christ, stop it. Do you have a friend like that? Are you that kind of friend? Now, if somebody catches me in a moment of weakness when I'm totally out of my head and almost insane, I will go to Six Flags. If I... I mean, if there is nowhere else in the world to go. But there is one thing that I like to do at Six Flags. I like to ride the bumper cars. I like to smash little kids <laughs> in those bumper cars. And, and, I, and I, am a, I am a demon in those bumper cars. And uh, true story... Uh, one day we were in the bumper cars, this is a little side, and I was giving, as I was going around, I was giving Michelle instructions. She was a lot smaller on how to twist the handle, and I was shouting at her as I went by, you know, how to twist the handle to get the car going. And when we got off, I was walking along, and I was walking by, behind two women. They weren't that much older than me. Heard one of them say to the other, did you hear that old man screaming at me, telling me how to, <laughs> t telling me how to turn my bumper car? I love to ride those bumper cars. But every time I see the bumper cars, it reminds me of most Baptist churches I know. Just kind of bumping off one another. Just kind of bumping off one another. I'm here to plead with you tonight to find somebody to disciple. Now I want to give you four applications. Now, the author of the book of Ecclesiastes also wrote the book of Proverbs, 
and their four. I want you to turn, mark them down, and we'll turn to them if you want. Number one, first application is this. There is a difference, a profound difference, between a companion and a friend. And the example in the passage, the verse, is Proverbs 18, 18, 24. Let me read it. The, the New, Inter New, New International Version has verse 24 like this. Now, it's different in the New American Standard. But this is the way NIV translates verse 24. A man of many companions comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Isn't that significant? That the word companion is in the plural, companions, but the word friend is in the singular. Because it means that you can have many associates and many companions, but there is a difference between them and a friend. Second principle. A friend supports you in difficulty as well as in prosperity. 17.7, Proverbs 17.7. Third, friendships are fragile. Proverbs 17, 14. Friendships are fragile. Now, what I mean by that is that friendships, you have to work at it. You have to continually develop that, work at it. Now, I have on my arm tonight a wristwatch. Sometimes I watch, look, look at the time. I do know it, how to, how to you know, tell time. And, and this rich watch, wristwatch is made up, is, is, inside here are these um, parts that, are, that, are fit to, that fit together and they're uh, polished and they're um, uh, refined to operate together, each little part. But, but suppose one little part or two could grow and, and it outgrew the others. Well, the watch would get out of kelter. Now, in, in relationships, sometimes we outgrow one another in relationships. One person outgrows the other. I've noticed that sometimes in, in Christian marriage, uh, one of the partners outgrows the other, you know, and, and, and there begins to knock the whole thing out of whack. And so there's a constant need to readjust and to work at this thing and to, and to keep that uh, relationship clicking, ticking. They're fragile. Relationships are fragile. And, and fourth, be careful how you choose and how you live before your friends. Be careful how you choose, how you live before your friends. Proverbs 12, 26. Now the NIV translates that like this. The righteous one is cautious in friendship. Now I think that means two things. 
I think it means that that righteous person is careful about the person he chooses, the person he chooses as a friend. He's careful about that. And I think it means, secondly, that he's careful how he lives before his friend because he knows how powerful is his influence upon that friend. Two are better than one. Lord, I'm grateful for the friends that I've known in the past and for the men, the deep personal friends that I have in this place who are willing to help me get a line on myself and help me to be all that I ought to be and to sharpen me. I thank you for the friendship of my wife, of my son, my daughters. I thank you for close, personal, intimate friends, a friend. Lord, I know that around us there are people who have no friends because they don't know how to be friendly. And I think, and I know, Father, that that there are those of us who just bounce off each other and go our own ways, not really caring. Help us to really care deeply for others. Help us to know and believe that two are better than one. We can help one another up and keep each other warm, joyful and happy. We can stand together against the enemy. I pray, Father, that you'll give us a sense of friendship with the Lord. Help us to develop, indeed, the friendship factor. Because I pray in Jesus' name. Maybe a strange sermon to invite you to come and receive Christ, but I think he is our best friend. He sticks closer than a brother. Somebody you can talk to, pray with, pray to, share with. I invite you to the Lord to receive Him as your Savior. I invite you tonight to come and rededicate your life to Christ. Some of you may want to come tonight and say, I want to commit myself to the ministry of discipleship and friendship, friendship evangelism. I've lived pretty well indifferent to others, and I want to care more. I want to love more. I want to be a better friend. Some of you may need to come and place your life in the church. Begin to find here meaningful uh, relationships with Christian people. This is our invitation, the Lord's invitation. We invite you to come as we stand to sing.